0: Hello everyone, before we get started, don't forget to subscribe, click on that notification bell, like, dislike, comment, share, let us know what you're thinking. You could also follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Now today, on the Angel of Words podcast, we talk politics with Jonathan Sanchez, who's a Bronx Democrat running for New York City's Council District 15. On Deck on the Angel of Words podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Angel of Words podcast. I am your host, Angel of Words, and today we are very lucky to have Mr. John Sanchez, Bronx Democrat, running for the New York City's 15th Council District and a budding star in New York City's political realm. Mr. Sanchez, thank you for joining us today on the Angel of Words podcast. It's a pleasure to have you.
1: Thank you for having me. Great to be here.
0: Now, Mr. Sanchez, I'm going to be honest, uh, you used to be a personal trainer, from what I've read, and now you're getting into politics. That's a lot more heavy lifting than working out, my friend. Uh, What made you want to get into politics?
1: Well, it really comes to a basic desire of wanting to make the neighborhood, the Bronx, a better place where people want to remain in after college, return to, raise their family, Rather than feel like they have to leave the Bronx because they need to feel like they made it. I feel like you can make it here in the Bronx. And the old saying is, don't move, improve. And that's what really got me into politics, because I want to help my neighborhood be better. Now, you
0: know, I, I, I get a little bit upset because I, I, I'm a, uh, you know, just a diehard New Yorker, and I really appreciate every borough, and I feel like the Bronx sometimes is like the forgotten borough. You know, how does that make you feel when you hear terms of, uh, of that nature?
1: Well, I mean, there's still some people that have a misconception about the Bronx in their mind, but I think uh, because I've lived in the Bronx pretty much my whole life, I understand that there's a resiliency here. And also, the Bronx is a great story for the nation. I mean, if you compare how the Bronx looked in the 70s and 80s to how it looks now, I think we can be a model to the whole nation of how to revitalize an urban city. And I think uh, the reason why I'm running is because I want more people like us with that mindset to stay here, because too many people in the Bronx, they leave once they, quote, unquote, make it. We need people to stay here, raise their families, and also hold our institutions accountable. So we have better schools, we have better housing, but if we have this brain drain, it's going to be really hard to uh, hold people accountable.
0: Now, it's important that you said that. And I want to first start with jobs and the COVID crisis. You have a lot of bold ideas. I'll be completely honest with you. I think that you are in terms of like your mentality, it it's very progressive. And uh, you know, what steps are you taking right now or would you take uh if you win the seat to bring back uh the jobs back into the community? Yeah, well,
1: thank you for talking about my platform because I think it's important that we have people that are running on specific ideas. And two specific ideas I have are city-owned property. So the old Fordham Library on Bainbridge Avenue that's an abandoned library that the city owns. I want to invest something called capital money, which every city council member gets, to rehab that building, but also use something called discretionary dollars that the city council gets for nonprofits to invest in a nonprofit that trains Bronx residents to get jobs in technology and other jobs that don't require a college degree. Because we have to be very, uh, we have to be very clear. Most Bronx residents in the area that I'm running for, they don't have a college degree and they don't have time to take four years off to just go to school. But we have to think, okay, what types of jobs can they get that don't require a college degree, whether that be technology, whether that be in the culinary industry, whether that be in the arts industry, there, are, or even in union construction. There are plenty of jobs where people are making a living wage without a college degree. We need to invest in those type of job opportunities.
0: Now, it's it's interesting that you mentioned technology because i am a big advocate for technology and getting things in these getting uh high tech people and institutions to invest in giving the education to these children on stem jobs for example yeah i don't feel like there's enough education or people aren't aware about how successful you could be in stem jobs can you describe why that is so important for you to make sure that we start like a grassroots situation when it, when, in terms of, like, STEM jobs and educating, you know, our children when it comes to uh, uh, learning about technology and, and that aspect, like coding and things of that nature? Yeah.
1: Well, it even starts earlier when we're talking about um, K-12 technology education. More than 200 the programs are in Manhattan and Brooklyn. The Bronx and Staten Island have less than nine. Um, luckily, in the district that I'm running in, there's something. There's a school called the Bronx Academy for Software Engineering. It's a great school, it's a high school, and when you graduate the high school, you actually get two You get you get two years of college credit. So it's a, so it's a great idea, and that's just one shining gem. But we need the city to invest in more schools like that because we need to start early. We don't want to wait until someone's 21, 22. We need to start at 14 years old. And as a city council member, having discretionary money that you can work with, you can invest in nonprofits that are doing that. So they're doing that work, like the Knowledge House, like Pursuit, like Perscolis. There are groups already doing this work. They're just not getting the city investment that they need.
0: It's, it's great that you mentioned Pursuit because they, they do a lot of good work. And that's one of the, I guess, it's one of the nonprofit for profit agents that you are working directly with or you're trying to work with.
1: That's the plan. Uh, once I get in, yeah. I think too I'm, often when it, yeah, no, no, go ahead, sir. No, no too often um, there's something that the city runs called Workforce One Centers, which are run by the Small Business Services, and they um, a lot of the jobs that they try to push are in retail, um, lower wage jobs, and people need jobs. So there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm thinking long term, uh, we need some. We need to have different sectors involved, whether that be the film industry whether that be light manufacturing, making clothes, fashion, just different industries and showing people that this is an option and then keeping it even simpler, jobs like mine. I didn't know my job existed until I graduated college. Why aren't we pushing more young people to work in government where they can have an impact in their local community, work at an agency like the parks department so they can change what their neighborhood looks like. There are thousands of city jobs available. Uh, but people don't think that it's accessible to them. And that's
0: what we need to change. Yeah, I mean, and, and there can be great careers that can actually help you build a home and, and live beautiful. And like you said, bring things back to the Bronx. And I, I've also like what you've done. Um, you, you started a first year round community board internship program. And it's funny yeah. that you've mentioned the fact that you didn't even know that you had jobs in, th- in this field. Could you mention that? Because I think that's important because everything starts with community boards and it's a very important theme right now in politics.
1: You're hundred percent right. Community boards, the most local level of government. And I'm proud to have the only year round paid internship program of any community board in the city, There's 59 of us. And it was so important from day one, because I didn't know about community boards when I was younger and i wanted to create a pipeline of talent so recruiting local students from the neighborhood to see what it is about working in a government office handling concerns from the neighbors but also interacting with developers elected officials representatives etc and i'm proud to say several of my interns have gone on to work for elected officials go to grad school or work at nonprofits. and that's what we need to do so if i'm in office i want to do the same thing for the city council there should be a paid internship program for the city council so people from the Bronx can learn about what city government does and how they can impact their neighborhood.
0: And this is a very important time because a- according to Andrew Cuomo, our governor, there's going to be meetings between, you know, uh, law enforcement, between the community board, between the city council right now is one of the more important times in if you're involved in the city council, so your job that well, the job that you're going for, that you're nominated for, is important. And I, you know, we, I want to know, you know, how do you, uh, where do you stand on defunding the police and, and, and the situation I had with the social unrest and the, uh, and social justice?
1: Well, yeah, I think it's important to state that even before I was a candidate, I wrote a letter to the mayor, the speaker, and the city council requesting that if there's going to be budget cuts because of the pandemic, um, cuts to the NYPD can't be off the table. So in fact, my community board was the only one in the Bronx and I asked all my other colleagues to sign on. My community board was the only one in the Bronx to actually submit that letter. And my board, which is comprised of conservative Democrats, some Republicans, some independents, they all agreed to the letter because they realized if we're gonna have to cut agencies funding, It can't just fall on the parks department the sanitation department after school program it has to be a shared sacrifice so that includes the nypd's budget being cut my office's budget was cut nine thousand dollars and i accept that because we're facing the worst economic crisis in our city's history arguably so that's where i stand on it i think if we're going to have to cut agencies uh, budgets no agency should be spared when it comes to that and also We want to invest in things that prevent crime. So that means more job opportunities. That means activities for young people to have something to do after school and at night. That also means helping people get out of poverty. Um, So we shouldn't be cutting affordable housing, but keep one agency's funding at 100%. That makes no sense. So if we're going to be cutting budgets, it has to be shared across the city. And and tactically,
0: because I feel that education really hasn't gotten its just due in terms of budgeting ever since I was going to school, you know, back in the day. I see it with my little niece right now who, who who's struggling with the Zoom situation. You know, the, a lot of kids don't have Wi-Fi and things of that yeah. nature. And uh, you're doing things uh, with, with, uh, and you have these ideas of like uh, giving kids who, who uh, uh, get free lunch uh, access to mesh networks. And I don't know if people know what mesh that was are kind of like using you know radio frequencies to help boost internet to give it give more people access to the internet Could you discuss that that platform a little bit and your, your ideas with that
1: yeah the basic idea is that the next city council is going to determine the next 10 years of the city and with the pandemic it shows us how invaluable the internet is so our city like other cities around the world should finally invest in city internet or municipal broadband is what they call it. And this is a low cost option, you know, $15, $20 a month. Uh, maybe there's a way to make it free for students that have free lunch where we have an alternative to the current internet providers, which no one seems to be happy with. And it's a low cost option. It's, uh, you know, it's a fast internet and pretty much is using fiber networks underground and you're connecting it to different buildings and it's a lower cost. So it's something that the city needs to invest in, but also the private sector needs to invest in because The Internet is just as important as heat and electricity. And I think this next city, uh, for the next 10 years in New York City, we should invest in that citywide so there aren't pockets of the city, like in the Bronx, where students don't have Internet access and they're trying to learn but they can't, versus areas in downtown Manhattan where they have perfect Internet and they're doing remote learning quite fine.
0: Now, you have something called the youth court that you developed, and I, I think it's a, a valuable resource because I feel like a lot of kids don't need to go to jail. I feel like we go from school to jail sometimes, mm-hmm. and and uh, that, that that gets ingrained in the culture, and, and next thing you know, it, it, people start... Growing up, not being afraid to go to jail when they should be going to school, educating themselves, because let's say you don't let's say you're a child or or, or someone in a a tough situation. You you don't like school. School isn't for you. You still don't stop learning in life. And if you're always spending your time in in these institutions, you're never going to develop yourself as a human being. Could you talk about why the youth court is so important to you?
1: Yeah, well, I pushed for the youth court my first year at the job in 2016, and it was very basic. I saw that every borough had a youth court, which is pretty much not even a court. It's an environment where if a young person is charged with a low level crime, hop in the turnstile, shoplifting. They go to a panel of their peers, and their peers discuss what they did, and they work together on what do you think, you know, your, uh, what you should do to uh, to fix what you did um, versus just going to jail. And they think of what that um, solution will be, whether it be writing a letter to the business owner, whether it means doing community service in the neighborhood, and it's an alternative to being incarcerated or being in the juvenile justice system. So when I saw that the borough of the Bronx didn't have one, I pushed hard, I wrote letters to the mayor, the city council, and luckily the mayor funded a youth court in the Bronx, which is great and it's serving, I think, more than 100 students uh, a year that would normally have been in the criminal justice system, they're um, bypassing that completely. Now, are you writing,
0: like, physical letters or are you sending emails to the mayor?
1: Uh, We write (laughs) emails. Okay.
0: (laughs) I'm like, like, I could totally see you, like the guy in Shawshank Redemption, you know, just writing letters (laughs) to the government. (laughs) (laughs) Now, uh, on a more serious note, Rikers Island, they want to disperse, they want to, you know, they want to build these jails in the other boroughs. I'm not a fan of that. I worked on Rikers Island for about three and Mm. a half years. Uh, You know, your thoughts on on Rikers Island trying to uh, maneuver themselves into the outer boroughs and how you think that, how you think that's going to affect these, these communities?
1: Well, I think the big background to know is that the city's facing a big budget crunch. And the estimated cost to create these four jails would be about eight to ten billion dollars. Personally, I don't think we should be investing eight to ten billion dollars in jail whatsoever, and that's why even on my website I say that I'm not going to support building four new jails, especially because eight to ten billion dollars. I could think of several ways that eight to ten billion dollars could be used, including building schools, building job development centers, creating union construction training centers, et cetera. But we're getting to a bigger point of, what do you do with Rikers if you close it? I think most people can agree that you probably need to close Rikers because there's a culture of corruption, it's an unsafe environment, people are being abused, and vice versa. Well, the jail population was going down pre-pandemic. But really, the big question we need to wrestle with is, what do we do with people that are charged with violent offenses? I think most people can agree, someone's being charged with a drug offense, maybe they'll need to be in jail forever, or maybe they can be out on bail. I think the question is, and we all struggle with this, is what happens if someone's accused of stabbing or shooting or sexual assault? And there are some advocates that say they should be out on bail. Um, I don't subscribe to that belief, um, but I also don't think bail should be determined by how much money you make. So that's a tough decision we need to wrestle with. And it's not easy. Anyone that says no new jails but doesn't have a plan to deal with violent offenders, they're not being truthful to you. Um, I think some ideas that have been thrown out about what to do with violent offenders is perhaps have them have the ankle bracelet monitor so you can track where they're going, have them be tracked by GPS to ensure that they return to court. Um, But that's the big issue to deal with, violent offenders. It's not the drug cases. It's the violent offenders and what do we do with them. There's also another proposal which should just tear down Rikers, but just rebuild a safer environment on Rikers. Um, so there are, there are different proposals, but I don't think anyone in my district that I'm running in wants to see a jail in the Bronx, and they don't want us to be spending $8 billion for it.
0: Yeah, and I always feel like the Bronx is always the guinea pig of anything new that they want to do in the city, man, which kind of is kind of unfortunate. Now, talking about uh, violence, you know, America has the most mass shootings at schools and um, unfortunately. uh, But you want to remove metal detectors from uh, school facilities. Uh, Your thoughts as to why you think that's a good idea?
1: Well, I live near Roosevelt High School, which is the school I mentioned. I live a few blocks away from it. And I also used to live a few blocks away from Um, Roosevelt when I was younger on 184th and Park. So it's very simple. You're walking through the neighborhood. You see the gated campus, of Fordham University to your left. Kind of feels closed off to you. Then you see your local high school, and you have to go through a metal detector just to go into your high school. And when doing research on this, um, Bronx high school students were at a 60% chance of going to a high school that required a metal detector. The numbers in Manhattan were about 15 to 20 percent. So why are we three more times? Why are we three times more likely to have to go to a high school with a metal detector? Even me, when I visit the school, I have to go through a metal detector, and that just sets off an invite, a mindset in your mind that I'm going to a environment that's unsafe, where there's a threat of something happening. And I think it's a disservice and travesty that brought students. Have to deal with going to high school with metal detectors. It's just unacceptable. I didn't. I was fortunate. I never. I went to a high school that didn't have metal detectors. Were there fights that happened in school? Sure, but fights happen in every school. But to say that we don't trust Black and Brown students to be able to go to school um, without a metal detector, I think it's offensive and insulting. And that's going to be a top priority for me because the school is around the corner for me.
0: Yeah, no, I could I could see where you come from from that, you know.
1: You, and also, you, the you mass start. shootings aren't happening in schools in our neighborhoods. Yeah,
0: no, that, that that's a fact. And you know, like you said, I I feel like when you when you breed that type of mentality, you're gonna you know you're gonna grow up. It's gonna be ingrained in you, you know, and it's become systematically could deteriorate the way you think about certain situations and certain things. Now, I want to move along to to healthcare. Yeah, because you're doing something that's. Very valuable. Um, you do you have birth sensors th- that you want to create in order to re- to uh, improve the mortality rates of women of color? Yeah. Could you speak about why that's so important to you, sir?
1: Yeah, well, Black and Latina women are, I think, twice, two times more likely to have um, complications during birth at a hospital. A birth center is an environment that can be linked with the hospital, but it could be separate from a hospital. It's pretty much an environment where it's more holistic. It kind of looks like a spa versus a hospital. Uh, it's also lower cost, and women are less likely to have to get a C-section there. Um, it's for a low-risk pregnancies. And also, it's just safer for the women to give birth there at the birth center. And with the capital money that the city council gets, it's a top priority for me because um, a woman having complications from a birth not only impacts the woman, It impacts the whole family, the father, the brother, the uncle, and too many of our women are having these complications. And quite frankly, there are hospitals that are discounting their fears. We're hearing stories about women dying, having severe complications because the hospitals aren't listening to them. They have this ingrained racism that women of color have a higher tolerance of pain, And then that's why they're not listening to their needs. So a birth center is the complete opposite, much more holistic, um, safer, and lower cost. And why not invest in birth? (laughs) (laughs) The beginning of life. We should be investing in that. (laughs) You know.
0: I like it because you're really thinking grassroots, man. You're talking about first first breath situation, you know. And I like politicians yeah. like that, man. You're very forward thinking, and I and I think that uh, you're the perfect man for the job that 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 you're gonna that you're going after right now because we need people like you in office, regardless of a party. Uh, you know, it's a bipartisan situation. I just want the best for our community, especially in New York City where I grew up. Now, I also want to talk about you, your work that you're doing or that you want to do to try to get a cleaner environment, air quality, the Bruckner, talk about it. Cause man, anybody that's driven through the Bruckner knows exactly what you're talking about or what you're about to talk about.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I think it's just, uh, first, I just want to say it's great that we're actually discussing policies and specific things. I think most candidates running for office would be hard pressed if you were asking them about specific policies. So I'm enjoying this. So air quality. So the Bronx, there's no portion of the Bronx that has air quality that meets the EPA standards. Why is that? Because we have those three highways. You have the cross Bronx, the Brockner, the Major Deacon, cutting through the neighborhood. That's why we have some of the highest asthma rates not only in the state, in the city, but in the country. So here's my, some of my specific ideas. One, the idea is to put a deck over the cross Bronx expressway to block off the exhaust and fumes and make that a park. Uh, something similar has been done in Dallas, Texas. Um, it can be done here. But then, taking a step further, we need to expand busways. We need to expand, we need to expand bike lanes, and we need to reduce cars from the streets. Now, I know our car owners love their cars, but I think we all can agree that climate change is real, and we can't we can't delay making this a more pedestrian and bike-friendly city, especially New York City. We probably have the best subway system. I can see other parts of the nation where they're dependent on cars, but if we're, if there's anywhere to do it, it's in New York City. So that means having Third Avenue become a busway because the Third Avenue train used to be on Third Avenue. They removed the train and they never really replaced it. So a bus lane, a protected bus lane on Third Avenue, a busway on Fordham Road, Bike lanes in the neighborhood. We just need to reduce the amount of cars in the neighborhood because these cars fuel the asthma situation. Um, so, that, and then another thing, um, there's something called parking benefit districts. So, I'm not going to get rid of all parking because there is a need for some parking. So, this is the great thing about parking benefit districts. Let's say we're in Fordham Road and we say, you know what, Fordham Road from Grand Concourse to Webster, we're going to make that a parking benefit district. So all those metered parking spots, the money stays in that neighborhood rather than going to the general fund. And it's been done in Austin, Texas, where they say, you know what, we're going to use this money to improve the sidewalks, to invest in bike lanes. So the money that's using for parking, we're using it to improve this specific neighborhood. And I think people can get around that if they're saying, you know what, I'm paying for parking but it's going to my specific neighborhood rather than an unknown place in the city. I think people can get behind that.
0: Yeah. And what about parking tickets? I mean, if you get got a parking ticket in the Bronx, I mean, you, the money should stay in the Bronx. Like, I don't know how you feel about that. Is that part I of the parking? Because I wanted to bring up parking benefit districts. You know, have a follow-up question to this. Yeah. But, like, you know, in terms of parking tickets, you know, that is something that, that generates a lot of revenue for the city. It should go to the places where the parking ticket was given, don't you think? I don't know.
1: <laughs> You're obstructing the parking in that area. <laughs> I like that idea a lot. I have to see if it's allowed legislatively because, okay. um, but, no, I can get behind that. I think... If there's going to be fines here, it might as well stay in the neighborhood rather than go to the general city
0: fund. Yeah, you know that'll make you think twice before you go parking and and violating parking uh, situations. Yeah. Now that 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 um the money that you make off the parking benefit district, since you brought it up, um, where do you think that should be best allocated to? If you had a first decision to make, so if
1: I'm just talking, I'll give you another example. East Tremont. Okay. So I have parts of East Tremont in district. There are certain sidewalks on East Tremont that are in really bad shape. So if you're a senior, if you have a disability, it's really hard to navigate there. There's cracked sidewalk. The sidewalks are really narrow. So just improving how the street and sidewalk looks is something that could be used with the Parking Benefit District funds. Um, taking it a step further, uh, doing something where you have protected bike lanes. Because we've had too many cyclists, especially in the Bronx, that have got injured or died. Because unlike certain parts of downtown, it's not safe to ride a bike in the Bronx. We have the least amount of bike lanes. And despite what people say, people in the Bronx ride their bikes. And you don't see more people riding their bikes in the Bronx because it's so unsafe where people get hurt. Um, so, those are a few ideas of where the money could be used for. And bike lanes, protected bike lanes, aren't very expensive to install.
0: Now, I also noticed uh reading a little bit, you don't really or maybe you do, and I yeah, I, I didn't come across it, but you don't discuss mental health or like rehab centers, uh really, as a as a priority right now. But is that something that you think about?
1: Yes. Well, remember, I'm running for city council, so there's only so yeah. much I can do. I'm not running yeah, yeah. for mayor. Yeah, no, I know, I know.
0: But, you know, we would like to, you know, just in case in the future, man, you may have other aspirations. Yeah. You know,
1: things change. No, I think <laughs> mental health is a, is a big priority and actually did a presentation on it recently. And it's tough because we need state support for it, but we also need federal support for it. So specifically on mental health, here's the issue. I had a talk with Fordham University and they said, Sometimes we refer community members or students to mental health services, but there aren't a lot of providers in the Bronx. So first issue is that there's a shortage of mental health professionals that work in the Bronx. Second issue is that certain insurance providers don't cover mental health treatment. That's another issue. And that's something that the state and federal government needs to change. And third is that a lot of folks don't even know what's available to them. There are free services. Um, there's still a stigma behind it, especially among men. Um, women are much better at seeking help. Men are having, uh, they're more reluctant to do so. So as a city council member, what can I do? Um, I can't change the insurance issue, um, but what I can do is do more public engagement, sharing the resources of what's available. Another idea is investing in mobile mental health bands, so pretty much these are bands where they go throughout the neighborhood and someone can literally go in it's like going into an office have a discreet discussion and then leave right after just interesting having things available where people see it is the first step because if people never see it they never see that it's an option they're never going to seek help um, and i think longer term the city council can invest in perhaps doing a recruitment push or funding scholarships for people in our neighborhoods to pursue these careers as psychologists, psychiatrists, etc. We just need to create the pipeline.
0: Now, Mr. Sanchez, you have all these brilliant ideas how do you get people to buy in? How do you get our youth to buy in? How do you get institutions to buy in? Because if people don't buy into these great ideas, they never get executed. You know, how do we change the culture, you know, of the Bronx, man? How do we do it, man? How do we get people like you and me, more of us, man, out there trying to do things for the community, man, or or do things for society, man? How do we get them to buy in?
1: Well, the good thing is that in 2021, we're going to have 35 new council members. We're going to have a new mayor. We're going to have new borough presidents. So this is the time and the environment where there's going to be a bunch of new blood in city government where people want to change things, where people want to get active. Um, I've met with several of the other candidates in the Bronx and throughout the city. And I think we, we have a good group of people. But how do you get people to support your ideas? Give you a clear example at the community board, smaller level. But initially, when I started the community board, I was succeeding someone that was there 21, 22 years. So there were a lot of board members that were stuck in their ways. They were used to a certain way of doing things. And I wanted to change things right away, kind of like how I want to do the city council. But I started small. I met with every board member, and and I really saw which ones want to see change and which ones are resistant to it. And then you work with the ones that want to do change. So you work with them, you start doing events with them, you build your support, you build your base. Because if you don't have a base, you can't get anything. So then eventually, those numbers started growing, we recruited more board members, then the number of people that want to change were higher than the people that didn't want change. And I think it's the same thing you need to do in government, you need to work with a few like-minded people, you need to build that consensus, build your support. And that's how you make change. But if I go into the city council off the bat saying, I want to do X, Y, and Z, and I want to turn the system on its head, um, institutions like to protect their power. And you have to be strategic in how you move. You can't just say, I want a revolution, because then you get discarded and ignored.
0: Oh, oh a yeah. Lot of Look at AOC, you know. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, I, mean- I love her, man. I do. man. But they hate her, man. <laughs> <Like> they, they- <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, you can be yeah. very aggressive with your messaging. And I think she's yeah. been impactful in that way. But um, because of how Congress is set up, there's bigger challenges. I mean, she has to deal with a Republican yeah. Senate that doesn't want anything to get passed. Luckily, in city government, <laughs> it's a lot easier. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, it, it's a mostly democratic city council. Uh, yeah. You have disagreements, et cetera, but it takes time to make change and being too forceful in the beginning can turn people off. And um, similar to what I did at the community board, you work on people slowly but surely, then you build consensus. So that way, when you do make change, it doesn't seem as abrasive. You're like, oh, this seems this seems normal what you really want to do is you want to make the dramatic change you seek seem like a natural evolution. Because then people are more likely like, oh, okay, we're progressing. But if people think in their mind, this is a complete 180, it makes people feel very uncomfortable. So to to our conversation earlier, if I talk about, I want to remove all the parking on Fordham Road, people will flip out. But if I start with, you know what, let's remove parking on one side of the street on one block and see how it goes. Then people are more interested in say, okay, let's see and look how it goes. Um, but trying to change things off the bat makes people very scared. You got to do gradual.
0: Yeah, you know, especially in a capitalistic society, people like their cars, man, you know, but yeah. <laughs> I really wish you well, you know,
1: and I hope you get yeah. in there. People now, like uh, their Mr. cars, but I like our pa- yeah. I like our planet. That's a fact. Our planet, (laughs) the future of our planet, is more important than someone's parking spot. I think people underestimate how serious the climate change crisis is. We're seeing what happened happening in California and the West Coast. This is related to our car dependent society. I mean, if we had less. So during the pandemic, especially the first weeks, when there was little car traffic. We had some of the clear, the cleanest air in New York City because we didn't have cars on the street. So that shows you that cars are a detriment to the environment. And we can't just remove cars. We need to give people a backup of how to to move. So we need to invest more in public transit and consistent basic transit. We can't just say, get rid of your car. The planet's burning, but don't give people an alternative. No,
0: I agree with you. Now, Mr. Sanchez, we've reached a part of the podcast where we're going to play Five Words with Angel. Now, Mr. Sanchez, on Five Words with Angel, I'm going to give you five words of phrases. You're going to give me the first word that comes to your head. Uh, Are you ready? I'm ready. Here we go. Uh, The first word is Democrat. Party. All right. (laughs) The second phrase is uh, housing and urban development.
1: Build more. Okay.
0: Third word is education. Better schools. All right. All right. The fourth word is transportation. More public transit, less cars. All right. <laughs> All right. And the fifth word is a little, the fifth phrase is a little bit of a curveball. Who will win the general election this year, man? I think Joe Biden's going to win and be the next okay. president. All right. Cool. 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 Well, Mr. Sanchez, before we let you go, you know, l- 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 give a little message out there to, to, to the youth, you know, and, and the people that, and your constituents, and uh, let us know where we can find you uh, if we want to read more about your uh, your policies and things of that cool. nature.
1: Well, Angel, thank you for having me, and I want to leave people with a story, I think that shows why I should be in the city council, and why I'm a leader that the Bronx um, is deserving of. When the tragedy with Junior happened a few years ago, a lot of the kids that knew him came to me and they said, we want to have a open gym night in the summer. We were trying to do this for years, um, we went to elected officials, and they all ignored us. And I have a small budget, but... We pushed the DOE, we worked with the precinct, and we sponsored open gym nights for July and August at Roosevelt High School. And you would see 100 kids lined up at 6 p.m. ready to play basketball in a safe environment. And it's a small thing, but it shows that government can work. We can be responsive to people's needs. And if I'm in the city council, I'm gonna do the same thing and be responsive to people when they're ignored. Too often, people think government doesn't care about them. It can't change. Hey, for three, dollars $4,000, I help 100 kids stay out of trouble for the summer just by giving them an opportunity to play basketball. And it's those little things. We add those things up. We can make our borough better. Now, with that said, how to follow me? Instagram, johnsanchezny, johnsanchez4ny.com. And the email is john at ny.com Check us out and support the movement. Mr. Sanchez, we wish you the
0: best on Election Day. Uh, I have a feeling that you might win that seat, man. So, you know, I will definitely be in touch. I'll shoot you a text once you become the winner. Uh, you know, I don't like to do things ahead of time, but thank you for sharing your ideals, your ideas. Thank you for being a positive member of society and of the New York City community. And, you know, we're going to be watching you, man. You know, you're on the rise. So we'll be in touch.
1: Thank
0: you, Angel. You're welcome. You have a nice day. You
1: too. Bye. All right.
0: Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed my interview today with Bronx Democrat and rising star in New York City's political landscape, Mr. Jonathan Sanchez. And if you want to continue viewing or listening to the Angel of Words podcast, go to YouTube and follow us at Angel of Words ENT. Go to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts and, you know, just type in Angel of Words Podcast. And if you want to know what I'm up to on my social media, you can follow me at Angel of Words ENT. Thank you for tuning in, everyone. Talk to you later.